Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Amen. And be seated. Boys, I got a question for you. Boys, over there. Boys, okay. Boys over there. I got a question for all the boys. And it's a softball of a question. Shouldn't be too hard. Okay, so feel free to answer it loudly. Do you love your dad? Yes! That's a a hearty amen. Well, I'm glad to hear that you love your dad. Do you know, however, that some sons do not love their dad? Some boys don't love their dad at all. And some boys want to kill their dad. And that's pretty hard to hear, isn't it? Now, I'm not talking about just the, the wrestling, oh, I'm going to kill dad, as you guys are on the floor. That's, that's a different kind of, of what I'm talking about here. We have a, a very serious picture from a man named Absalom, the son of David, and he did not like his dad. He wanted his dad gone. Absalom grew up. And a lot of people said to Absalom, Hey, Absalom, have you ever thought about being king? I I know that your dad's king right now, but have you ever thought about being a king? You know what we could do is we could kill your dad and you could be the king. Would you like to do that? And Absalom jumped at that chance. He loved that idea. Yes, let's go with that because then I'll be king. My dad will be gone and I will be king. And so he and these men came up with a plan to end David. 12,000 men would come to David and David's men at the Jordan River. They would find David and his men tired. They would pounce on them, causing a panic and making all the men flee. And then David would be left alone and he would be overthrown. He'd be conquered by Absalom and his men. So again, Absalom liked this idea, but Absalom did not count on a certain individual named Hushai, who helped David to know of this plan beforehand so that David could escape. Now, no dad wants to be killed, especially by his own child. It's heartbreaking to learn that your son hates you so much that he wants you to die and to die at his own hands. David was a king, but he was also a dad and didn't want his son to put an end to his life. And so he escapes from his son's hands. He crosses the Jordan River, and then he writes this psalm, Psalm 3. That's why we have it here, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. And we see in this psalm that because there is victory that belongs to the Lord, God's people can run away from evil, and they can rest in the Lord. 
And in this morning psalm, we, we see the, 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 the resolution not until the end of Psalm 4. So Psalms 3 and 4 are meant to be read together. We'll have to wait for Psalm 4 or August. But Psalm 3 is the morning psalm, and Psalm 4 is the evening psalm. And you can read about what happens to David in 2 Samuel 13 through 16. Maybe you can read that when you get home tonight. But when David was preoccupied with, you know, governing a whole nation, his son Absalom had his heart set on the hearts of those supporters who wanted to dethrone David. Now, years earlier, Absalom took vengeance into his own hands by killing a guy named Amnon, because Amnon had raped Tamar, but he had to flee because he took vengeance into his own hands. So he fled from his father and went to the land of Geshur, about 30 miles north. And Absalom returns to Jerusalem by the help of David's trusted commander, Joab, who manipulated King David's aching heart to persuade him to take back the prodigal son, and while Absalom was in Jerusalem, still not allowed to, uh, to visit dad, he took advantage of the, the two years in Jerusalem to collude, to conspire, to have a plan against the Lord's anointed, against King David. As he stole the life of Amnon, Absalom has now stolen the hearts of his father's people, and he has gained quite a following to come up against his dad. Absalom has raised a revolt in the nearby town of Hebron, and this revolt was so sudden that King David had to flee Jerusalem with whatever supporters remained in the kingdom, remained joined to David. And David does what we pray that we all would have the spiritual impulse to do if we were in his situation. He sees a a homicidal people heading his way, and he shoots a prayer heavenward. He says, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. He utters this prayer to the Lord. In verse 5, he speaks of having gone to sleep in the face of his enemies, then having awoken purely on account of the grace of God. And from these clues, it's possible that Psalm 3 was was written on day two of this battle. And before we peek our heads into the battle, let us just for a moment reflect on our own spiritual reflexes. When, when we face trials, when we, when we see that many foes are rising against us, what is our go-to response? What's our spiritual impulse? What's the first thing we do when a trial comes our way? Is it avoidance? through sleep. Now, I'm not talking here about the, the kind of sleep that's mentioned in verse 5. I lay down and slept. I, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. That's a sleep of trust. It's going to bed knowing that the Lord's in control. But sometimes we go to sleep and we disregard the wisdom that God has given us, the resources that God has given us to solve the problems that come our way. We say, this is too weighty an affliction for me. It's too much. I can't handle it. And so I'm just going to go to sleep and ignore it. Perhaps that's one of your go-to responses, just avoiding it by going to sleep. I know in my life, there have been many trials that have come my way, and I've resorted to just going to sleep or 
trying to anyways. But it's pretty difficult to go to sleep when, you are, when your soul is distressed. Perhaps our go-to response is avoidance through entertainment. Let's just watch as much TV and as many movies as we can. Let's just bin-watch Netflix. If we do that, then we won't have to worry about the problems that come our way. I don't want to think about it. Well, you know, once that movie is over, the problem remains. The same thing with eating food in excess or drinking alcohol in excess. You can eat and drink all you want, and your tummy will get a, a tummy ache. And you wake up, and your head will hurt, and the problem will still be there. Not a good solution. Perhaps our go-to response is to have immediately a downcast spirit with even just a, a twinge of anger saying, Why, O oh Lord, and, and how dare you? How dare you bring this trial my way? These many foes that have risen against me, they're your fault. How dare you? And we forget about all the, just the manifold blessings, the grace after grace that we have been given. Say, oh, yeah, that was yesterday. That grace can't carry me through the day. You're right, but maybe there's mercies that are new every morning. Must our spirits be downcast? Or perhaps we do an about-face and we turn in gossip to someone who just doesn't need to know. Sometimes our affliction is because someone has sinned against us, and we don't handle it rightly. We turn to people who, who, who are not mature enough or who do not have the resources enough to help us solve the problem. And we just turn to them for a sympathetic ear, and we don't care if they... Well, we don't actually want them to offer any correction. Say, so, you know, you might be wrong about this. You might not be seeing things clearly here. We just turn to gossip. But gossip doesn't solve the problem. In the face of our many foes, we need to turn always and immediately to our friend, to God. That's why David is praying this to the Lord. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? He turns immediately to God. Now, this instant turn to the Lord who has befriended us does not deny the existence of these many foes. David doesn't say, well, I actually don't have any foes. If he, if he didn't think he had foes, if he didn't think he had enemies, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be praying Psalm 3. He wouldn't be writing this. David sees the band of soldiers that are set out to, to get him and under his son's charge, no less. We don't like enemies. One enemy is, is one too many especially when they come from our family or come from people that we know to be friends. Perhaps it's much harder when they come from our family. They come from people that have been our friends for years. Their energy that is expended against us is, is just too much for us to handle. And we're consumed with all of their schemes that threaten to undo us. We say, oh, I, I just know they're talking about me. I just know that they're doing something over there that has my ruin in mind. They're out to get me. What are they thinking now? What are they saying now? Who are they talking to now? It's enough to, to destroy your soul with unending anxiety. 
And when one complaint or attack seems to die down, we think that it's been fully addressed, perhaps another will rise up against us, or perhaps we will relive the old attack. We'll relive it regularly, perhaps even daily. How we are plagued by this problem. It takes just one foe for us to feel the weight of our helplessness. David had his share of enemies. I mean, how could he not? He was, he was king after all. You don't become a king and have everyone love you. These foes, he says, with the flavor of claustrophobia, surround him. Now, I recently watched a video of a couple of guys who are expert cavers, so they, they like to cave. They like to hike caves and, and go in and out of caves. I don't get it, but they, they do. And it was a 20-minute video I watched, and I did not heed the video's title, Trigger Warning. It means you're going to get anxious inside if you keep watching this. And I did keep watching it, and I did keep getting an anxious heart. This is... Actually, I, I first put it on, and I, I couldn't do this after a minute. Like, I can't, I, can't go, I can't go through with it. But then I persevered, and it was really hard. These, these men, cavemen Jacob and Calvin, those are, those are great names, Jacob and Calvin. These cavemen Jacob and Calvin inch their way on their stomachs slowly through the cavernous corners and increasingly smaller apertures. They, they find themselves literally between a rock and a hard place more rock. They're going through. As they make their way deeper and deeper into the cave, they eventually find themselves cornered and stuck. And they have all these wonderful tools. They can, you know, dig, you know, and just get in there. And they tried, but they could not get any further in. They were stuck. They couldn't even get back by themselves anyways. But they're wise cavemen, as wise as you can be to endeavor such a task. And so they had already prepared people, people at the ready to come in from behind, to to hike that cave, to go in that cave from behind, and then to slowly pull them out. As David's enemies march closer and closer, there is less and less room for David to breathe. There's less and less room for for David to, to feel secure, Obviously, if they're way out there, well, they're at a distance. It's not a problem, out of sight, out of mind. But they're getting closer and closer. And now the the fear potentially rises more and more. But David knows whom to call. He knows to direct his immediate cries to the Lord. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Again, it doesn't take more than a single foe to shake us, especially if that enemy is a child, someone that we hold dear. David's opposition took the form of a grown man who who knew what he was doing. This wasn't just some ignorant little kid. This was a man who had grown up, who knew, and his heart was full of malice. And he had the physical strength to match his knowledge, and he had all the soldiers to support his cause. Such unimaginable betrayal that hounded David from his son, oh, his beloved Absalom. And you recall when Absalom does die, even contrary to David's instruction, David cries out, my son, my son Absalom, my son, my son, my son Absalom, over and over again. 
because his heart hurt so much that his son is no longer. Parents know this threat. With every new child that comes into the world, they might fear that this child would would grow up and not love the things that the parents love, would grow up and and not know the gospel or, or know the gospel and hate it and would reject the very things that the parents have been investing their lives in the children to, to teach them, to instruct them in the way of the Lord. It's enough to, to cause strong men to break down and to shed tears to fill an ocean. Dear ones, the life of the saint is, is one of struggle. The disciple lives and moves and has his being in difficulty. Christian life is not a cakewalk. The road is one of suffering, and sometimes that suffering comes from comes at the hands of our own loved ones. We walk the road riddled with rivals, but we do so only after our shepherd's journey. We do so only after our shepherd has walked that road. As we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen the Messiah's enemies. We've seen these foes every single week. They come from various groups, and they're all hotly opposed to the Messiah. How many are my foes resonates well with the suffering servant. He can utter those lips better than anyone can. He can utter those words from his mouth better than anyone can. Whether demons or humans in the spirit of demons the world was against Jesus. From life's first cry to the Christ's final breath, he was surrounded by most odious foes. Praise be to the Messiah that he did not run away from his enemies, but rather faced them head on. He saw the cross, and he was determined to go there. Praise the Lord who stood firm as a strong tower that we might find refuge in him. Hebrews 12 tells us to to lay aside all of those ensnaring weights and to run the race with eyes fixed on Jesus. The kingship of the anointed one does not remove our trials, our stresses. We have many foes, but the Lord remains king. These foes are, are no match to the Lord. Dear ones, run. How many are your foes, O saints? You know what they are. You find these enemies in your flesh, in the world, in the devil. And they are hotly opposed to your salvation. They are entirely against your peace of mind, your contentment, your joy. Run away from evil. Wherever evil is found, run away from it. Don't play with it. This is going to be found in your own heart first. Doesn't doesn't stay there. There's evil in your home because there's sin in the home. There's evil in the church. There's evil in society. There's evil in the world. Wherever you see evil, you run away from it. You don't toy with it. You don't say, well, maybe this this could be good. 
You see it as evil, and you run away from it. The more you play with it, the more you will be ensnared by it. The more it will wrap around you. Don't think yourself too wise that you can interact with evil, with, with sin, and leave unscathed. Avoid the appearance of evil, yes, but also address the reality of evil. Do not let the evil of your heart or the wickedness of the world gain a foothold. And with the feet of faith, like Joseph, run away from all that is unholy. Run away from evil. Run to the safety of the Lord. Seek the Lord where he is found. He is found at the finish line in heaven, enthroned. Find coverage in the cave, the rock that is Christ, cleft for you. You run away from evil. You run to Christ. You run to his word. You run to him in prayer. So run with prayerful perseverance. For as some men say, by praise the saint obtains more grace to sustain his faith. A decline in prayer is the beginning of backsliding. We want to avoid a backsliding heart, don't we? We don't want to, to have that line in the song to be our theme line is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Yes, that is the case for some of us and for all of us at times. But we don't want that to be characteristic of our lives, that we are typically prone to leave the God we love. We don't want to backslide. We must persevere with prayer. Do not slacken your steps, O saints. Run the marathon the Messiah plotted. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, says, Christians do not arrive at perseverance when they sit still and do nothing. We arrive at salvation in the use of means. As a man comes to the end of a race by running, to a victory by fighting. So you have means of grace. You have baptism. You have the Lord's Supper. You have the Word of God. You have prayer. You have corporate worship. You have even friendship, godly friendship. You have various ways that God has chosen to sustain you, that God has chosen to lift up your soul, to lift up your head. Let us use them. This race is a fight of faith dependent upon the word and prayer. But thanks be to the Lord that this fight is not fought alone. You don't fight, you don't run this race on your own steam, on whatever moral strength you can muster. You run this race, you fight this faith, this, this battle against flesh, against the world, against the devil. You fight this depending upon the strength of the Lord. John Bunyan pictures this fight well in his Pilgrim's Progress when interpreter shows Christian the trials that lie ahead for him, the challenges that threaten to deny him that celestial city, that heavenly city. Christian sees a palace of eternal glory guarded by many armed soldiers ready to attack anyone who tries to enter it. And many men shrink from fear. But one courageous man clothes himself with, himself with armor and boldly assaults the gate. Despite his wounds, he perseveres. He presses forward, and he is welcomed into the palace. In another room of Interpreter's House, Christian sees a fire by a wall. 
A man is pouring large quantities of water on this fire, but the fire does not go out. Christian is led to the other side of the wall where he sees a hidden man who, who keeps pouring oil into the fire, preventing the fire to go out. Though the devil seeks to quench our faith, our hope, our love, the anointed Jesus, by the Spirit, by the oil of gladness, effectively sustains and supports our souls that we might persevere, that we might run. We depend upon the Word of God. We depend upon the Spirit of God. Use this morning's psalm, then, as a reminder to run away from evil and to rest in Jesus. We see verses 3 through 5. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. While crying out to the Lord, David can rest in confidence in this Lord who conquers. Just like every runner needs rest, so does every Christian in his running. Otherwise, he will run out of energy. He needs to take a break. And the Lord has seen it fit to give you one day of seven for rest. A godly spiritual rest where you are fed the word of God. As the darts of the enemy fly, David can take cover under much shield, he says. Without a shield, if you're, if you're just out in the open and exposed, the arrows will eventually sink into your flesh, will injure you or even kill you. We wonder, is, is David seeking comfort and in, in shelter in his men? No. For how many are his foes? What are his few men compared to the many foes that have risen against him? He takes cover under the divine covering, the Lord as a shield. All the way back in Genesis, God connects the fear that we experience and the need for a shield when he says to Abram, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield. There's nothing like a good shield. But there's nothing like God as your shield. As we daily clothe ourselves with the armor of God, as we're told to do in Ephesians 6, we cannot forget the shield. This is the shield of faith, which John tells us in 1 John, that faith is by which we overcome the world. We overcome the world by faith in the Lord. Let us carry this shield with us always. And so, like David, we rest, we sleep, we dwell in the safety that is God. As the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the devil surround us, they cannot squeeze into any of the cracks. There are no chinks in the divine armor that covers our spirits. Because the covering is divine. The covering is provided us by God. So what do we do? We settle. We settle our souls in the peace of God's promised word. God's promises are the anchor of our soul. Those which steady our spirits in chaos. As the enemies of the flesh, the world, and the devil would, would surround you, what you are to do is to recall the word of God, to recall the promises of God, which do not fail. You say, the Lord is my shepherd. 
when I'm tempted to believe that I will not have the provisions I need, that I won't have the guidance I need for the path of righteousness, I need to recall that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Let us recall that the Lord is our light. Let us recall when we are tempted to despair that the Lord is our deliverer. Let us recall his word that says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That the Lord keeps his own. The Lord preserves his people. It is his word that we use to steady, to settle our spirits in peace. And because of this, we can sleep. Because you rest in the promises of God, you can go to sleep. And I mean that literally and spiritually. Not as a, as a way to avoid the problems, of course, but as an expression of trust. We consider what we've done for, in that day, whenever the trial comes our way, and we say, I've, I've done what I could do. Now I just, I just need to go to sleep. And that's good. The Lord did not make you to stay up forever. He doesn't want you to do all-nighters every night. He wants you to literally rest. And that is an expression of trust. Because how precarious a position our souls are in if God is not sovereign when we close our eyes. So even falling asleep is an act of trust. So Lord, I don't understand how, how this problem is going to be solved. And when I get up, yes, the affliction will likely remain. But I can go to sleep because you sustain me. I can say that I lay down and slept and I woke again because the Lord sustained me. I didn't sustain myself. The Lord sustained me. Pray that he who never slumbers or sleeps will keep his word to grant you sleep. And he will. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all of my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. We might wonder, how can we possibly think of resting in a time like this? How can we ever consider taking a load off when we are surrounded by enemies? It is quite true that, like the ten spies, when we focus on the giants in the land, we fail to remember that God slays Goliaths. His divine business is the overthrow of giants. What do we do then? We call upon God to rise, to break the teeth of the wicked. We join our settled, peaceful, joyfully contented spirits with a call to action. This is not passivity. This is, Lord, we need you. Rise. Conquer our enemies because we are powerless. We depend upon your strength, O Lord. Wherever the enemies are, we need the Lord We need his strength. We need his grace. Formerly, these foes rose up against David, but with David's plea to God, now the Lord rises against David's foes. And we ask, who will win that battle? Ten times out of ten, the Lord always is the victor. Strike all my enemies on the cheek. It's a mark of humiliation to be stricken on the cheek. And we saw Christ was so stricken when he was 
just before he was placed on the cross. He was humiliated. And to break the teeth of someone is to make that person toothless. To give him nothing with which to consume anything. David's urgent prayer is that the Lord would show himself the conqueror. And again we ask, did he? Did the Lord show himself to be the conqueror? Well, you, you, know, you know the story. David goes back to Jerusalem. Absalom is killed. David reigns. David's cause was a righteous cause. And so the Lord vindicated David. We have every reason to trust that when our cause is righteous, the Lord will defend it. Dear ones, submit to the truth that the victory belongs to the Lord, that salvation belongs to the Lord, that the blessing of God will be on his people, as verse 8 says. This is a verse that Jonah quoted. You know, Jonah quotes Psalm 3. Where does he quote it? When he is in the belly of that great fish. When he's between that, that fish and watery chaos, when he's surrounded, when, I mean, honestly, if you're in a big fish, you really have any reason to think you can get out of that thing? How am I getting out of here? But we know that the Lord does what seems impossible to man. He conquers in the face of impossible odds. The French Protestants adopted Psalm 3. They, they took it as their own when they stationed guards in the midst of upheaval and much persecution in the 16th century. And they used this psalm to prepare themselves spiritually for sudden physical attacks. This isn't all just you know, spiritual and, and you know, high and, and doesn't touch ground here. David's enemies were earthly enemies backed by spiritual enemies. And they, they, they took Psalm 3, and they found Psalm 3 to have the promise of God's sovereignty. And the Lord did preserve their spirits. And when the danger subsided, and they could return to the corporate worship of God and do so in safety, they then sang Psalm 122. Verses 1 and 2, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gate, O Jerusalem. The Lord sustained them, even in the face of much persecution. God has shown us this impossible victory through Christ, whose cheek was struck, but whose death and resurrection landed the blow to sin's mouth that rendered it powerless. Death can no longer consume you. The devil can no longer gobble you up. The world can no longer humiliate you. The resurrection of Christ ensures that we who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Indeed, we will be raised to newness of life. And if God has conquered death and hell for you, which ought to be your greatest fear, then certainly he can conquer those lesser fears. And since God is for us, who can be against us? Come what may, victory belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise found here in Psalm 3. It is hard to believe it at times because we look with eyes according to the flesh too often and not with eyes of faith. O oh Lord, strengthen our faith. 
Enlighten our eyes to see your grace in the face of many trials. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.